Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, and we will begin our reading this morning with verse 37. John 8, 37 to 47. Please read along silently as I read aloud. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. You yet seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. As we said all along, Jesus is getting clearer and clearer about the distinction between what it is to be a believer and what it is to be an unbeliever. And I think what might be most disheartening for those who are genuinely in the faith is that there are those who continue to pretend that they love Christ. They continue to pretend to be Christians. And this is a a clarion call to recognize the stark contrast. As we look further into this text and into other texts together this morning, I, I think that you will be pressed to realize that in many cases, and I and I really mean it when I say many cases, you probably have been willing to give the benefit of the doubt to those who have not earned it. I didn't say who have not earned their salvation, but I did say those who have not proven themselves to have received salvation by grace. Now, those are strong words, I know, but I'm convinced they are no stronger than the words of our Savior that I just read to you. And this is what, in many, many cases, what brings about a persecution upon true Christians, those who are lovingly willing to speak the truth, as Paul commands of us in Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love. You know, we don't say these things out of spite. The true friend is the one who speaks the truth, but of course he does it in love. And that may unfortunately at times lead to some conflict, maybe even some difficulty in the relationship, but that's necessary. As I said, what might be most discouraging for those who are genuinely in the faith is that there are those who they have attempted to confront, they've attempted to speak the truth in love, and they dodge. You know, I often refer to that person as the spiritual Air Force pilot. 
He's just really good at maneuvering away from godly people and attempting to persuade them to think that he really is in the faith, even though he wants nothing to do with the faith. He just wants to be known for being of the faith. And it's very, very common. I think God has blessed us here in our little church with a culture of holiness and godliness, not by any means something that we have achieved or have earned or deserve credit for, but God in his grace has blessed us with a passion for living uprightly. All of us fail. Every one of us fails. And the more we grow in Christ and mature, it's not like we can look back and say, hey, I had a better performance because I was getting more mature. What I was doing was I was resting more deeply, exclusively in the cross and the resurrection. You see, the unbeliever wants nothing to do with that. What the unbeliever wants, especially the false convert, is to be able to say that he brokered the relationship. He established the relationship. He wants credit. He wants credit. And so he continues, the false convert continues in his deception. When God opens his eyes, when he gives him ears to hear, that's the beginning of the process by which he increasingly rests exclusively in the cross and the resurrection. And of course, everything we're looking at this morning predates that. This is why a couple of weeks ago I asked you to go with me to Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 2 and then back to Ephesians 1, recognizing that it's all rooted in God's sovereign decree. Believe it or not, there are people who hate that terminology and think that we use that terminology too much. And the reason they hate it is because they don't understand it. What they think we're saying is that God has ordained things in such a way that man plays no role. We've never said anything like that, ever. I've never said anything like that, not in my whole life, even as an unbeliever. But the person who wants credit, who wants glory, who wants to be affirmed, who wants to uh, really be applauded for his spiritual condition is the one who wants nothing to do with the sovereign grace of Christ. Therefore, he redefines it so he can dismiss it. Does it make sense? That which he doesn't like, he redefines. We call that the straw man argument effort. He redefines his opponent's argument. He makes his opponent, opponent to be saying something that he never said, and so it's easy to burn that straw argument up. But the sovereign grace of Christ is revealed in the reality that man loves Christ. Many years ago, I was counseling a woman who was committed to marrying a man. And anyone who knew that man knew that nobody should have been considering marrying him. And I asked her one simple question. Now, these were people who were actively involved in a local church. Actively. I mean, they were really involved in the activities, both of them. So I asked her one question. Do you think he loves the Lord? And her head dropped. I expected her to say yes. But in a moment of honesty, she looked at me 
And through tears, she said, no. And she married him three weeks later. And you know how that turned out. You know how that turned out. God can repair the worst of marriages. But in this case, he didn't. And it makes no sense to presume upon God to engage in romance evangelism. Well, look at this situation. I mean, she married an unbeliever and God saved him. That's called presumption. And it proves you're not a believer if you live that way with any measure of consistency. This morning, so that we may be better equipped to compassionately and confidently win the lost. We'll examine the words of Jesus here in this text as he rebukes those who reject his word, calling them children of the devil. Now see, I'm way off the hook this morning on this. I don't get any blame for this at all because I'm just following the passage. These are Jesus' words. Now sure, I'm not going to, in my evangelistic efforts, start calling people children of the devil. But that's not what we're doing this morning. We are ascribing Christ's words to Christ. And it's not simply because he has some sort of clairvoyant discernment to be able to read people's hearts that he calls them children of the devil. It's a black and white reality. This is not rocket surgery. It's a black and white reality. Let's say it this way. Because this is how he says it. You're my disciples if you what? Abide in my word. Live in my word. You clutch my word. You cling to my word. What does that look like? Does that mean that you read the Bible every day for 30 minutes? It might be a starting place. It might be five minutes. It might be an hour. But that's a starting place. What it means to clutch his word, to cling to his word, to abide, to dwell, to remain in his word, to wait in his word. What it means is you read it and you obey it. And you stop dismissing the commands of the Bible because you've been sick for two years or whatever. You know, so many excuses. Right now, the whole social justice movement has sadly permeated much of the church. Many men I know and love have been swayed by this gross enticement to abandon the true gospel for the social gospel. It's happening at a rapid pace amongst men that I would never have guessed would have been bamboozled by it. Jesus lays claim to this basic reality. If you're truly my disciple, not the disciples who walked away, right? If you're truly my disciples, if you're disciples of me, if you're disciples of Christ, what do you do? You abide in my word. You love my word. And your love for my word proves itself in your willingness to obey my word. Not just when it's a non-sacrificial, convenient reality, but especially when it means sacrifice. You know, you want to ask yourself, what has been your excuse? If you've got some pattern of non-abiding, if you've got some pattern of unwillingness to obey 
the word of God. Why? Why is that? As we look at this passage together, I've got three points for you, and then I've got some follow-up practical application that I think you're going to find immensely helpful to apply this passage to your life. Now, there are no mandates here for us in this passage. There's no commands, no imperatives, but the indicatives lead us to know what to do. Point number one, the devil's children reject God's word with a plan to kill Jesus. And you say, well, you know, that's... That's not something I need to hear. I mean, I would never do that. No, this is exactly what the unbeliever does. It's exactly what the false convert does. He reinvents his own theology, dismissing the theology of the Bible to make life more convenient for himself. And what is he doing? He's killing Jesus. And I don't just mean in a metaphoric sense. Obviously, he's not literally killing the physical Jesus, but I do mean that he's killing any thoughts in his conscience that might lead him to actually obey the Jesus of the Bible and his commands. Jesus says to them, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. In our more Western, more Greek culture, as opposed to this Jewish culture, the way this might be said in our era or in our vernacular uh, would be, I am a child of God. I know that I'm a child of God because look at my life, because look at all my activities, because look at my participation in a church, a number of churches over the years. It's always interesting me to me when a pastor in his resume or in his biography boasts of how many churches he's pastored. Is that odd or what? He's pastored churches in Arkansas, Texas, and Missouri. That's something to be proud of? I don't know. I mean, maybe those were good relationships, but it just seems odd to me when a guy has pastored nine churches. What in the world is going on that he can't stick with one or two or three churches during his lifetime, but he keeps on moving? But so many folks do the same thing. They boast in their multiple expressions of conduct. For the Jews, it was that they were offspring of Abraham. They wanted to believe that being physical offspring, biological offspring of Abraham, that that somehow meant that they were children of God in a spiritual sense. Jesus says, I know your ethnicity. I know you're Jews, but that does not make you Abraham's spiritual children. But why? What's the problem? He goes on to say, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Friends, this is the distinct privilege that you and I have to love people the best, to see how they respond to the word. I think one of the most obvious expressions of being a child of the devil is that rather than passionately, hungrily receiving, eagerly panting for the word of God, there is instead a proclivity to look for where the word of God might be wrong. A constant effort to be searching, 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 searching. Listening to the word of God, but looking for ways to refute what is said. That is a crystal clear, proof positive expression of a rejection of the word of God. You know that person? He doesn't come to listen to the word of God, to be inspired, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be scathed, to be 
rebuked, to be confronted, to be instructed. He comes to hear things that he can refute. You can be certain that is a child of the devil. That's the point. That's what Jesus is saying. There's no eagerness for receiving his word. It finds no place in you. And so what do you do? You try to kill Jesus. And as I said, their efforts were to literally kill him. They developed a plan to kill him. Eventually they did kill him. But the person who responds to the word of God this way is killing him in his mind. He's killing him in his heart. And think of it. He's not only doing that in his own heart. He's going to do everything he possibly can to persuade others who might be influenced by the true word of God to avoid the word of God and go somewhere where they're not going to really hear the word of God. That's what he's going to try to do. That's how he is going to try to influence others. They answered him, Abraham is our father. See, Jesus has said to them, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The implication here is that they don't have the same father. Jesus, having already stated that God is his his father, is at the very least saying that your father is not God. What does he mean by your father? Well, we'll get to that, but he is clearly saying you follow in the footsteps of your father. You're yet a child of Satan. (laughs) See, this is polarizing talk. This kind of discussion is not an easy discussion to have. I would not suggest that you start an evangelistic effort by explaining to someone that they're a child of the devil. It's not a good place to start. It's true, but it's not a good place to start. But they said to him, Abraham is our father. Well, Jesus had already indicated they were trying to kill him in John 5, 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You know, Jesus has said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, right? John 8, 21. This is the point. Unless you believe in my deity, Unless you believe and trust in the reality that I'm God in the flesh, you will die in your sins. And this is why we have said it as boldly as I know how. If you reject the deity of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. I would go even further than that and say, if you're teetering, you must question your faith. You believe in a false God if you believe in a God who is not the Jesus of the Bible. You know, we've talked a lot about T.D. Jakes. Jason, in uh, our Systematic Theology series uh, yesterday and Wednesday night in the Christology study, and I strongly encourage you, if you were unable to be here for that, you absolutely must go online and listen to it. It's critical that you understand the person of Christ. It just puzzles me when we offer something like that and people think it's optional. Folks, you've got to be here for this stuff. It's absolutely necessary for your spiritual growth. We're not throwing that out as some ancillary complementary opportunity for you to know a little bit more. You have to understand the person of Christ. Your evangelism depends upon it. Your spiritual growth depends upon it. This is why when we ask you to associate yourself with the Anchor Bible Church that you commit yourself to discipleship. 
You know, some have said, you know, I need more training in the children's ministry. I'd love to serve in the children's ministry. I am serving in the children's ministry. I need more training. That's what Ironman is. That's what WOW is. That's your children's ministry training. You've got to be discipled into thinking rightly about the person of Christ. You've got to be discipled into thinking rightly about what he accomplished. You know, do you love the people that you say you love? The people you work with, your family? Are you genuinely willing to pour into them? You need to be equipped for that. You've got to be equipped for that. It's not enough to hear what I have to say on Sunday morning. It's not enough. Your life has proven that, hasn't it? For those of you who only come and listen to the teaching on Sunday morning, am I right? Your life has proven you're not effective in evangelism. You're not winning anybody to the Lord. Here Jesus is willing to say it pretty strongly. You're children of Satan, not you. I'm not saying that about you. But he's saying that to those who obviously have a different father because they don't abide in the word. If you and I are going to abide in the word, the highest priority in our lives has to be being equipped within the body of Christ to win the lost. That's the only thing that matters. You know, your career, your family, uh, whatever else it is, all that within Colossians 1 is clearly designed to be a number of opportunities in which Christ is to be preeminent. You've got to ask, is Christ preeminent in everything I do? Or do I have this other ancillary stuff going on that prevents me from being effective in evangelism? Jesus was the master evangelist. The reason he was able to say what he said was because he had credibility. Obviously, he was fully equipped to say what he needed to say, and they wanted to kill him because he spoke the truth. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Back in Genesis 26, verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. See, what Jesus is saying to them is that if Abraham were your father, you'd be obeying the statutes and the laws of God. Friends, if you've arrived at the place where obeying the statutes of God has become a matter of convenience and you've found pockets in your life, pockets and chapters in your life where you're willing to say, well, I'll get to that. I know that I'm disobeying him now, but you know, life is hard. There's a lot of inconveniences. There's a lot of difficulties. You know, I got this, I got that, I got issues. Jesus is pretty clear. He's getting real black and white. It's getting very, very uncomfortable. He's saying here, for those who are of the devil, children of the devil, they will not abide in his word. They don't want to hear truth. And because they don't want to hear truth, they set a plan to kill him, and they fulfilled that plan. Abraham kept God's charge, his commandments his statutes and his laws. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. There's always a diversion with people who don't want to hear truth. There's always a, a backdoor insult. You know, this was an insinuation that he had been born in immorality. Well, we weren't born of sexual immorality. We're not illegitimate. We have one father, 
You claim to have these fathers. We have one father. Our ultimate father is God. And so you see here the devil's children, as Jesus calls them, reject God's word. He says the problem is God's word is not in you. God's word can't find a comfortable home in you. You reject God's word, and so you plan to kill me. Well, point two, the devil's children do not understand God's word because they cannot bear it. They can't receive it. Now, think back through your life with regard to this and the lives of those that you love. Stop and think. In the moments where God's word is just pretty clear and you think, I don't know, I'm not sure I can handle this. What did you do? What do you do? See, the unbeliever twists it. He'll say things like, well, my God would never do that. Instead of submitting himself to it and saying, God's ways are higher than mine. And the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the deity of Jesus falls high on the priority list in this category. The person who wants to say, well, I'm not so sure that's so important. Number one, he's probably dependent upon his experiential understanding of his salvation experience or of his salvation. He looks back on his experience and he defines it based on what he remembers going on in his mind. Well, I didn't know that Jesus was God when I became a Christian. Not possible. And I mean, even you know, for many of you probably, that's still a little bit of a difficult thing to hear. But as I've said to you a number of times, what should be happening, what, sh- what you should be doing is saying, man, that really explains a lot. That explains why in many moments when I would say, why can't I be fervent for Christ like those people? Why can't I seem to get a rhythm, some spiritual traction in overcoming particular sins? Why do I not really care about evangelism? Why is it easy for me to hate other people? Why is it easy for me to disobey the Lord here and there? I mean, I want to do better. Well, that's just a moralistic effort to appease God based on your own efforts. That's not Christianity. And it's very likely that for some of you, what should be happening in this very moment is when you're willing to say, you know, when I became a Christian, I didn't believe that Jesus was God. What you should be willing to say was, Now I understand. I wasn't a Christian. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Instead of digging your heels in. You know, somebody was telling me recently about a very, very large Southern Baptist church in our area. Someone who has lengthy experience there. That the plan, and I've known this for a while, the plan is to get as many people persuaded to make a decision for Jesus and then to get them into the baptistry and then for all the teachers to everything they possibly can do to tell children don't ever, 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 ever for any reason let anyone allow you or cause you to question your faith. So they bypass the process, the New Testament process by which a person is saved completely bypass that by encouraging some sort of fleshly decision. And then they tell these children, don't ever let anyone present the gospel to you as if that's actually how someone gets saved. So you have this elongated problem. 
where people have no interest in the gospel. They'll say things, well, I, I, I have that. I know that. You ask them what the gospel is, they have no idea. The devil's children do not understand God's word because they cannot bear it. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. This is why I said to that woman, do you think he loves Christ? I didn't ask, does he have some emotional, euphoric experience from time to time listening to praise songs from the 80s or you know, whatever he's emotionally connected to. I didn't ask that. Does he abide in Christ's word? Does he love Jesus? I mean, really love Jesus as proven by his love for those for whom Jesus died. Is his life about pouring in to others? If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God. I am here. See, that, when you see this, you should think deity. Where did he come from? He came from the Father. He came from heaven. He dwelt in eternity past in heaven with the Father. He came from heaven, robed in flesh. And he points back to eternity past, saying, for I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. This is his willingness to subject himself to the Father's will becoming man, setting his deified prerogatives aside for a time, not relinquishing them, but choosing in setting those aside for a time to subject himself to the Father's will. And again, as I've said many times, that's an example for you and me. Because Jesus, being God, was willing to submit to the Father, equal with him in the Trinity, also being God, then you and I surely could do that. Surely you and I not being God, could submit to the Father who is God. God himself submitted himself to God. Why couldn't we submit ourselves to God? Why don't you understand what I say, verse 43? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. That's why. Words presented, immediately rejected. Insert some man-made theology. Automatically. The flesh is no help at all. That's all that is. It's just fleshly thinking, you know, looking for opportunities to dispute what the Word of God actually says. John 6, 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What if you were to know that Jesus would go back where he came from? Again, it's a reference to his deity. What, were, what if you were to actually observe it? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And it's far more persuasive when someone believes a lot of the Word of God, but selectively chooses the harder sayings to reject, because that gives him credibility. He's able to say, well, I believe most of what I hear, but I, you know, this one thing, no way, or these three things, or these seven things, you know, he's got a list of things that he totally rejects. 
because he doesn't believe him, because he can't bear to hear the word of God. He believes the axiomatic truths. He believes the obvious truths. He believes, he states that he believes that God exists. He states that he believes that Jesus is the son of God. Uh, you saw uh, in an earlier text that we looked at just a few weeks ago that there were those who were persuaded of his deity and yet what did Jesus say about them? <laughs> they too were not saved. They were evil. They turned from him. They embraced the doctrine of the deity of Christ, and that still didn't do it. So don't ever think that that's the singular issue by which people are saved. That's just one way you can know that they're not. Plenty of those who believed and to this day believe in the deity of Jesus and yet continue to find things within the Scripture to reject. I want to just take a parenthetical moment here and say this makes my job really hard and really easy all at the same time. Yours too. As a believer, when you speak these hard truths, people don't like it. Some people will you know, never want to ever talk to you or hear from you again. At the same time, you can say, you know what? The pressure is not on me. I have to say what the Bible says. I have to say it. And so you can sleep at night. You know, Not with a desensitization saying things like, well, that's his problem. No, that's our problem. We need to be gracious and loving and kind and serve those who reject Christ, to love our enemies. That's very, very important that in your neighborhood people know that you love Christ because they know that you love them. Look at verse 65 in John 6. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You know, a lot of people would disagree, but this is a core Christian doctrine. This is not optional. The only people who come to Christ are those that the Father draws to him. And you know, how many people do you know who have struggled with the doctrine of election? Well, everybody you know if they've thought about it. But those who utterly reject it have chosen at least one very, very large section. It's not a sliver. One very large doctrine in the Bible to say, yeah, I'm not really into that. They apologize for it. For some folks, they think it's the black eye of all doctrines within the Bible. It's the fundamental doctrine of the Bible. It is the most fundamental doctrine of the Bible. How in the world... Could a person who loves Christ hate his word so much to hate the doctrine of God's sovereignty? Because he cannot bear to hear the word of God. That's why. Verse 44, you're of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. I've never really understood the phrase, you're lying through your teeth, except that I think maybe it means you're smiling while you're lying. Um, but a lot of people lie without smiling, so I don't really get it. But I do get this. He speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Friends, this is indicative of being unregenerate, the person who so easily twists things, 
colors things, says things consistently that simply are not true. And he might even have a sort of a secular sweet spirit about him where he's willing to say, oh, okay, but then he keeps doing it. It's no problem for him to color things when he's convinced that those that he's coloring them for don't know he's doing it and he's persuaded to think that they'll never ever find out because he thinks he's really good at it and he probably is. But the Lord will cast light on that darkness in due time. He is a liar. Unbelievers are liars. False converts are far better liars. They'll lie about all kinds of things. They'll do everything they possibly can to persuade you and me and others to think that while they are clearly living a life not abiding in the word of God, that they actually are. There's a lot of shucking and jiving going on there. A lot of twisting of reality. 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, it's another clear indication. Somebody loves the things of the world. They spend more money on vacation than they do on the church or whatever. You know, constantly pursuing hedonism, constantly pursuing things of the world, far more influenced by the world. That is not a believer. That is a child of the devil. As you know, John in his spiritual maturity became even more black and white. So we have 1 John. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The stark contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. Stark contrast. 1 John 3, 7 Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Don't dance this dance. Don't play the game. Don't fool yourself. Don't allow others to fool themselves, or at least don't persuade them to think that you believe their game. Those who are committed to the world are not of God. Those who do not love Christians They're not of God. Point three, the devil's children do not hear or believe God's word because they are not of God. This might be the simplest of the points that we find in this text. It might be the least abrasive uh, and the simplest and therefore maybe the clearest in terms of communicating to someone who thinks he is of the Lord. He says in verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. You've heard the phrase, some people would rather hear a lie. Well, 
false converts would rather hear a lie. They'd rather you lie to them. They'd rather that you salve their conscience by saying, well, you got a lot of good things going on in your life. They'd rather hear that. But out of your love for Christ and your love for them, you're not going to do that, right? You're going to tell them the truth about their soul. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Well, none of them, because he had none. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? You remember back in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And we titled that message, Jesus Sets Sinners Free. The person who continues in his sin, especially the person who continues in his sin and continues to lie about his sin, he's imprisoned to that sin. He's imprisoned to it. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Simple, huh? It's so simple. You know, the person who does not hear the word of God consistently misinterprets it if he's even making an effort at all. Consistently misunderstands what God is saying. has no ears to hear. Luke 8, 8, and some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The point is that there are those who do not have ears to hear. They're not only bored with the word of God, they're offended by it, they're sick of it. Hebrews 4, 11, listen to this, so amazingly helpful. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see that? For the person who's regenerate, for the person who's legitimately abiding in the word of God, what does the word of God do? It produces conviction, but not just conviction in the moment. It produces change that results in changed conduct. And you see that progressively. You can graph that person's life. There is an upward movement toward holiness, toward service, toward love, toward humility, toward sacrifice. It's up and up and up and up and up with failures all along the way. But it's a consistent upward graph for the person who recognizes that the word of God reaches deep down into the soul and produces change. Well, this is clear, isn't it? I mean, I almost don't have to preach this message. You can read it and see that there is a stark contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. But I want to give you some suggestions on what to do. What do we do with this? What do we do with the fact that the devil's children reject God's word and attempt to eviscerate Jesus from their hearts, their lives, their minds by redefining him, by defining and creating a new Jesus to displace the Jesus of the Bible. What do we do about the fact that the devil's children do not understand God's word because they cannot bear it 
And what do we do with the fact that the devil's children do not hear or believe God's word because they are not of God? Well, let me say first, and this isn't one, I have two points under application here, and this is not one of my points, but I do want to say it. Start by abandoning your self-righteousness in the moment that you see someone who is wayward. I get more to what you will do with that, what you should do with that. But number one, what do we do with this? Number one, be passionate about hearing and doing God's word. Be passionate about it. First Peter 2, 1 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, that's being passionate about eagerly receiving the word of God. That the highest priorities in your life as a member of the Anchor Bible Church is to participate passionately in the worship service, receiving uh, the Word of God through the preaching, through the singing, and teaching it back to others through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And being legitimately involved in discipleship, where you're receiving sound teaching and then engaging in a discussion group where you can talk about what this looks like in your life and how you can help others with that. Involved in your family group where you're exercising your spiritual gifts with others in the body. Friends, these are basic Christian fundamentals. These aren't things that we tack on to the Bible. It's basic Christianity. Be passionate about hearing and doing the word of God. That's how God changes people. That's it. There's no other way. It's through abiding in his word. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What's the context? Receiving the word of God. The person who hears the word of God and gets angry about it. The command here is to stop it. Stop becoming angry when you hear the word of God. Be slow to answer. (laughs) Listen, in our culture, in our American culture, why is it so easy for someone to visit a church one time, hear one sermon, and walk away thinking he's got the whole thing sized up, right? He's got that church, that guy, all those people completely sized up. And by the way, he's got the whole, now he's a Bible expert. Totally understands the Bible and everything about it. Why is that? because he cannot bear to hear the word of God. So he describes himself as an expert in all things, especially the Bible. Well, just one more thing on this point one under application. Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5.11, about this which we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now remember, he's speaking to believers here. You've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. This is where he goes on to explain that the meat of the Bible, the meat of God's word, the spiritual meat is for those who are mature. Why is it that there are those who just can't handle the deeper truths of the Bible? Well, at the very least, they're not mature. And at the very least, they've turned their ears with deafness Two, the truth. Point two, 
under your application. These aren't in your notes, by the way, not on the bulletin. But point two, be compassionate toward those who cannot hear or do God's word. So be passionate about hearing and doing God's word, but be compassionate for those who can't and don't. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. See, that's how it happened with you. Why then would you be non-compassionate toward those who are yet rejecting the word of Christ, unable to bear hearing it? Why would you have a hard-hearted spirit, an unkind spirit toward them? Why would you not have the compassion that Christ had on you? Right? Because you've forgotten that it was compassion by which you were saved, and you think it was your decision. That's why, and in some cases, it was a decision, and therefore it wasn't the compassion of God, right? I think for those who particularly stay in that mindset for year after year after year, that it was not the compassion of Christ by which they were saved, by which they were forgiven, by which they are loved, holy and beloved, set apart, when they're convinced that that wasn't it, but it was their choice, of course they will never extend compassion and love and forgiveness to others readily. Of course they wouldn't, because they think they earned God's favor. So you and I must not only be passionate about hearing and doing God's word, we must be compassionate towards those who cannot hear or do God's word. That's how it works through relationships. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Many of you know Romans 1, 16 is the theme verse of our junior high and high school ministry. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is the part I want to emphasize. For in it, right, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. From one person's faith for another person's faith. It's through relationships. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For a moment, back to James 1, James 1, 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So being a person who eagerly hears and abides in the word of God must first clean out his spiritual ears. And you won't be surprised to hear me suggest that for many people, the reason that they're not abiding in the word, the reason that they're not receiving with meekness, with humility, the implanted word of God, which is able to save their souls, is because the word of God has not yet saved their souls. And so they're so interested in filthiness and rampant wickedness. They're committed to evil. They're committed to perpetual sin. So what's your role? If you, in fact, are a person who eagerly receives the word of God, what's your role? Your role is to have compassion on them and go to them and look them in the eye and say, you don't abide in the word. You know you don't. I know you don't. You pretend to, but you know you don't. There comes a time where speaking the truth in love means speaking the truth in love, actually doing it. And that's the call that the Lord has placed upon you and me. 
Father, we rejoice in the clarity of your word, and we know that as we get deeper into the book of John, we see you becoming clearer and clearer regarding what it looks like to be a believer, that we could rejoice, Father, that you by your grace and by compassion, with mercy, have poured out your love upon us. Lord, may we, in the moment that we feel the remotest hint of taking credit for what you and you alone have accomplished, we trust that you would move on our hearts with repentance. Perhaps that's the greatest sin we can commit, a willingness to take credit for that which we could not do and that which you and you alone could do. Lord, give us hearts of compassion, boldness, confident compassion that in the right moment with winsomeness, with care, with love, and with grace that we would take opportunity with those in our families, maybe even those in our church who are plainly not disciples of Christ yet are false disciples. Lord, may we not waste another day Give us the moment, give us the time, cause our paths to cross, soften the hearts of the false converts, soften our hearts toward them that we would no longer be willing to be all wrapped up in our own personal desires, knowing that the flesh is no help at all. May we trust the Spirit to save others. Not that we'd manipulate them, we don't want that. Lord, may we never be able to look back on anything we've done or said and say, I think I've played a pretty huge role there. Lord, may we never do that. May we simply say we've been faithful to the word. We've chosen to abide in your word. Help us, Father, to live lives of integrity, honesty, and humility. That you, therefore, would give us the pleasure, the joy of seeing our our spiritual quivers full that the people of Redlands, California and the surrounding communities would know the Christ of heaven by knowing us. It's in his name we pray.